0: Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the School of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host,
1: Eric Schlein.
0: Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on Winston Justice, who is a former uh, Philadelphia Eagle. And former NFL player because you play, you did play for a few teams, uh, Winston. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you for having me. Um, I I did play for a couple teams. You know, you get old and they start shipping you away. So do you, do, you, do you feel like you were an eagle?
0: I mean, do do you, do you feel overall you're an eagle, or do you do you kind of feel like you're part of those? What is it? Three teams that you were on in total?
1: Yeah, so I played for the um, Eagles, Colts, and Broncos. And I felt, I, I spent most of my time with the Eagles, and I, f- I feel more of an Eagle because they drafted me, right? right? And I felt like I went through so much uh, growth as a person um, when I was in Philly. You know, I got married, well, I got married before I went there, but um, had three kids all in, in Philly. So I, I tell my wife that, you know, when I was drafted, I went there with like a suitcase and I left with like a wife three kids <laughs> you know i'm moving a whole house you know it's like um you know a lot of growth happening okay. so I, I i consider myself evil and what what year were you drafted i was drafted 2006
0: okay so that was uh so who was your coach
1: Um uh, i was drafted by andy reed okay uh andy reed was my coach so what what, and, what, was, uh, what was that
0: like uh being coached by him
1: man he's a he's a man of few words but you know people that don't really you know just talk you know every word he has is really weighty you know mm-hmm. so um um when he said something you you had to listen and um i remember after every game i mean before every game he used to say uh, hey it doesn't get any better than this you know you know and so i remember one day we were playing against the Dallas Cowboys and i think it was in it was in December and it was cold and he said, it doesn't get any better than this. And I was like, man, I hope it does. I have to go against DeMarcus <laughs> to Ware tomorrow, <laughs> you know, and it's 12 degrees outside. Um, but um, yeah, so everything he said had like a lot of weight yeah. and um, you know, he took a chance on me, drafting me. So I'm always grateful for that opportunity.
0: That's great. That's great. So you, you learned a lot, I would imagine playing in the NFL. Um, t- tell, tell the listeners what what you do now, because you know this isn't a football podcast. So I think you have a very interesting yeah. story.
1: Yeah, uh, so I got into finance, and I, it, it's a funny story. I got into finance while I was playing with the Eagles. Um, I was a team rep for the Eagles. The team rep is someone that um, is kind of is in between the players and the coaches, and also uh, the players in the NFL uh, Players Union. And so, um, I was a team rep during the lockout. So, um, I'll, I'll, I was one of the few that helped negotiate the CBA at that time. Now oh, wow. they're in a, now they're in a different one now. So mm. that just shows, you know, how old I am. But, um, <laughs> but, um, that kind of sparked my, my interest for finance. Um, also, um, my, um, this is not related to you know football, um, i'm really close with my wife's family Mm -hmm. yeah and um my um father-in-law was a uh, partner at a pe firm based in chicago called sterling capital Mm. and he was like a mentor to me and um, still is a mentor and um you know just being around people um surrounded by the right type of people kind of sparked my interest for um for um finance for business and um to make a long story short um you know, after um, the whole CBA negotiations, I um, went back to um, finish school. Um, well, I finished school. Well, go, go back to get my a- MBA and then um, launch a small VC fund while I was playing. And um, that whole experience made me realize that I didn't really want to be um, a VC manager. And why, why is that? And I wanted to go there. Um, because I, I don't think I was best equipped to do that. I think that's really made for a certain type of person mm. and um there's a lot of factors in being a venture capital manager like assessing uh you know um teams of, of companies processes at that level that i i just didn't want to do so yeah <laughs> uh and uh um, but that's not saying look i'll i'll invest in it it's just i'm not i shouldn't be the one actually managing it
0: right so now tell our listeners what you do now
1: So i work with um uh, alliance Bernstein as as asset management as asset manager um with their private wealth wealth group and so uh, what that means is we focus on endowments you know sub two hundred and fifty million and uh, we work with family offices and uh business owners
0: interesting so now you do that and then you also so we
1: hope yeah we help create portfolios
0: it's awesome now on top of that also yeah. you yeah. do um you did start a few coffee you did start a coffee shop right as well
1: i did so back in the, yeah so, yeah tell us so, tell um, us that story it um so I'm real close to my wife's family again and um i went on various mission trips with my brother-in-law and um we used to go to, we went to indonesia we went to africa central uh, uh america and we used to go on these mission trips and then go drink coffee and and surf after, nice. and so um, um, he came to me back in 2008 and nine, and said, "Hey, let's bring all this awesome coffee to Philly," and he wants to open up a coffee shop here. And so um, I bought into his vision, and um, we launched a coffee shop. And he really took it off to the next level. I, 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 you know, he, not only does did did he really, you know, put the time into creating a quality product. He he's also a savvy business owner too, mm. as well too. Also a great partner, um, you know, implementing processes in a small coffee shop that just aren't in coffee shops.
0: And so, like like what? Can you give give us an example?
1: Like um, the process of managing um, his baristas. Mm. So um, and also giving them a sense of the ownership. And the art that they're creating, which is coffee. Mm. Um, I, so you know, it's different than going to a Starbucks, which Starbucks is is, is a great product too. But it's different because the barista is I th- actually. I
0: think, I think that, their beans are burnt. They're they're, they're I, I do not. Like they, their are. Coffee. Yeah, they are. Yeah,
1: they are. Yes, burnt. Yeah, yeah. But their their beans are burnt. Um, we, we you know our roast isn't dark. You know, mm-hmm. but. The barista is that first encounter your clients have with your product, right? And I think that's so important and crucial um, because that's essentially an extension of your product because you're making the cup of coffee, right? Um, So he emphasized that um, and really um, um, elevated that position within the coffee shop.
0: So what what, what do you do to elevate that position? Because I think that one of the struggles with business owners – is you know you run the company you invested your capital you know a lot of sweat and tears and whatever but then you might have say a college student coming in and they don't have as much invested you know you can say you can say all of the the motivational stuff you want to them but at the end of the day they know they're not going to be there in a few years so how do you get someone who doesn't think they're going to be there forever may is not going to just have the same emotional investment um, as the owners how do you get them to actually uh, feel elevated and empowered in that position so that they're representing the brand in the way that, you know, you
1: would if you were doing the same, same job? You know, t- turnover is still, is still high, right? Yeah. Still, you know, but, you know, at the same time, though, no, you're, you're you giving them ownership in something that they feel pride in, right? So they could come in and uh, create coffee. And how we do that is: have you have you been to a coffee barista championship or a, a coffee? No, barista? but
0: that sounds like, really cool, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, you know, in Philly and also in, in in the Nashville, there's there's national global events on coffee brewing competitions. So no they're actually local celebrities, right? You know, people they you know they really know how to either one identify the different coffees, uh, or they reg really, they can really pour an awesome you know um, you know cup of coffee, or they can roast an awesome cup of coffee. Now my brother-in-law could really roast really really well, and yeah. he still enters competitions, based based off roasting. So that's one way. Um, we can elevate the the uh the 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 position of a barista that okay. just someone that just makes coffee. You know, they're actual local they're local celebrities that compete on very high levels. You know?
0: Right. So. Inter- interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So Sometimes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what were some other processes that were a little bit different implemented in the coffee shop that is not your typical you know, business practices at a local mom and pop coffee shop?
1: Um, different business practices. Well, um, me, me and my brother always took, um, a different approach. Like even with this new crisis, Mm -hmm. we kind of foresee this, foresee it. We kind of were ahead of the, um, uh, skew and he, he kind of knew that this was going to affect, um, a lot of our business going forward. And so we, we, we try to position a lot of our cash reserves to really combat a lot of that, right? Okay. Um so
0: interesting. Now has has your background in playing professional sports because you were a college athlete too, right? You were you yeah, were you, and you were you were at USC?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I'm um yeah, I was born and raised in California. Okay. And I didn't want to leave until I had to.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And who is was who your coach at USC? Just side note.
1: Um, I, I my, my coach is Pete Carroll. So you, he he was a head coach there. Yeah. You
0: you just you just get coached yeah. by these like great great amazing. <laughs> I, I just fell into it. I mean,
1: that's, that's kind of I awesome. Said, Do you want to come yeah. play? I said, yeah, sure. That's great. Um, yeah. Um, he he was an awesome coach, awesome um, awesome mentor too, as well. Um, a lot of a lot of the sayings that Pete Carroll had, I still use. Mm, today like what well he used to have this thing called competition tuesdays and um he used to watch everything i mean everything was filmed from one-on-ones that's when you go against a defensive lineman from nine on seven that's like run game from the passing drill from everything it was filmed mm. and he will make it so all the all of our peers could watch the film and so it's a way for you to be held accountable with your other teammates. And so um, that level of trans- transparency and, and accountability, I, I think is really um, valued, especially in business too. So, I was just going to ask I mean, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was go just going to
0: ask you, ha- have you found that principle that you've been able to apply that in business? Because I feel that there could be a lot of overlap there.
1: Yeah, I think it's it, it's like what I'm saying is really you can't. It's nothing. Sometimes you can't film anything, right? Oh, sometimes sure. you could, yeah. you could possibly film a presentation. I don't know. You could film a speech or something. You, you know, you can't really look at film, but you could create an atmosphere within. Like for instance, our team at Bern, Bernstein um, to really have feedback that's really transparent. Like if you did something, you know, bad, look. It's not a shot towards you. It's just something we get better at as a team. But right. at, but at the same time, if you do something good, you know, there's still opportunity to use the good to get even better at something because we're all human beings. There's always opportunity to get better at something, and so that level of transparency, the spirit of it, I try to transfer in into business. And I think athletes, um, they they're they just grew up in it in that atmosphere of just being really transparent and being not judged, I guess judged, sure. you know, on the highest, and also critiqued on the highest level possible. And so they're they're able to uh, perform in those environments where I think normally in corporate America, it's very, sometimes it's very, it's not as transparent.
0: Uh, often it's not as transparent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> That's that's one premise from Pete Carroll. Another one yeah. is uh, there's no mistakes. There's only opportunities to get better. Um, he said that to me my first camp, you know. Um, and at the time, I was sweaty, I had my pads on. It's my first two two days in college. I'm tired, and um, I, I didn't really understand what he meant by there's no mistake. But you know, as time went past, they I realized yeah, there is a really, there is, of course, I mean, you're going to mess up and you need to get better. But even in the good, you know, there's still opportunity to get better and not to be complacent. Right. You know, so.
0: Interesting. Now, what, what are some. That's clear. Yeah, no, no, it, it is. Um, what what are some, you know, in terms of just daily routines, practices, things you're able to teach others uh, in business or, just, you know, what you do day to day? How has your background in sports um, made a lasting impact on you in your day-to-day living?
1: Um, I, I really keep in a routine, Mm -hmm. right? So I still start the day with a workout, you know, (laughs) even in like, um, you know, in this days of social distancing, you can't go to the gym. Mm -hmm. We have a gym at the house here that I just go and use. And, um, I start my day by doing that. And then, um, I, I planned my day the day before so I could, um, I, I'm really, so I could follow a schedule I, mm-hmm. and I also, I'm a really big component of lists. Mm. Right. So, um, like I have my, I have my list here. I know you can't see, but yeah, yeah. I have a list that, um, I, I check to make sure I get through it. That list for that particular day or time frame. So, um, you know, cause I mean, life happens, kids happen, family happens and then you could you could miss a list and you know that's someone that's really depending on you you know yep. so i'm a big component of list in routines
0: you know it's it's interesting because in you know I, i'm i'm you know i do an investment management that's my you know my company does and yeah. there's sometimes this pride amongst money managers of you know I kind of I, I work from home or I go into my my home office you know whatever it is but if you're running your own uh, fund or your yeah. firm, yeah, and they almost take pride sometimes in this lack of routine, like this very just kind of laissez-faire, I'll do what I feel like during the day, oh, yeah. and it and there's also often a sort of a more holistic component missing of like you know when you talk about yeah. I start with my workout right or um, yeah. I think Ray Dalio talks about that he meditates for 20 minutes every day and that's made a yeah. huge impact in his level of clarity when he thinks about investment ideas. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, I know for me yeah. eating eating healthy like just my brain yeah. works better. And I don't think yeah. there's enough talked about in the the business world and the investment world that you know, if you actually uh take care of yourself, you might do you might perform better. Your your mind is going to be is going to work better
1: yeah you know i i totally agree yeah i mean look there there's some people that i mean look everyone's different sure. some some people work for it they could just wake up and say hey i'm gonna do this today but i mean i'm a maybe because i was trained to do so much that i'm really big in lists and because I, I know for some reason i feel like i'm always competing with somebody right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <Like I'm all, laughs> you know like if i don't wake up at five someone else is you know <laughs> Right, and like even though there's no one there, but like I still, I still feel like <laughs> you know, feel like you know someone's someone's coming get me. So like, um, so I'm um, it's probably not a healthy way to look at it, but that's that's you know, I, you know, I think
0: I think you go I think like can that. go both ways, right? I mean, if if it's yeah. if you're kind of a slave to that habit, there can be times yeah. where it hurts you, but also it hurts, yeah. it's gonna be a really good fucking habit where like that you yeah. show up, you're productive, and yeah. you know you you might get into the office the first one in the office. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of benefit to that, too.
1: Yeah. There is. There's balance, though. At the same time, on the other end, I have a wife and three kids. Right. And one, I want to be an example to, you know, my kids and say, hey, look, you need to work hard. But at the same time, you need to have – you, you need to not have your work, you know, be your number one and you neglect your family at the same time. You know, so there's a balance right. in there, you know. Work hard, but at the same time, hey, you know – my family comes first, you know, yeah. um, that's always a challenge. And I, I go back and forth it you know, well,
0: yeah. you were, you were, you said you were married when, uh, you were playing football.
1: So I got married. Um, yeah, my first year playing football, I met my wife when I was at USC though. Know? Okay. She, she, she went to Pepperdine. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah.
0: I know Pepperdine. And,
1: um, yeah. I, I had friend friend Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome school. Yeah, you know, I was right on the beach. She she liked it, um, and um, we got married in the first year. So, so, so you got,
0: you must have learned a thing or two about balance about balance there, where you're you're trying to you know balance working on building a marriage, you know, in a relationship, and also yeah. building a you know football career.
1: Yeah, it was really challenging, and my wife had mm-hmm. to go through a lot of growing pains. i'm I'm sure you (laughs) both did yeah yeah, yeah, we definitely both did we're both young yeah i was 21 i mean so i mean it was like really a lot of growing pains a lot of change a lot of growth too as well yeah um yeah i'm grateful
0: awesome now do you still i gotta ask you are you are you an eagles fan now is that the team is that the team you're for am i allowed to To be honest
1: (laughs) no look to be honest i uh I root for players okay. that are still playing, and it's getting less and less daily. And then, um, so you saw, you, saw, you
0: saw some friends that are still playing.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, man, who's still playing? Well, the thing is, I don't know because the season's coming up. Right. You know, I play with Jason Peters. Uh, he, oh, Brandon Graham's still playing. Okay. I, played, I play with him with the Eagles. And let me see who else is there when I was there. I think that's it. Brandon hmm. Graham. Oh, Jackson. Okay. Deshaun Jackson. Yep. Because you're, you're in Philly now, right? I'm
0: in Philly now, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Deshaun Jackson was there. Uh, actually, we were in the same high school. Oh, cool. Where'd you go to high school? <laughs> yeah. We went to Long Beach Poly.
0: That's a, that's a funny coincidence.
1: Yeah. Um there's actually a really big football school. And, um, you know, me and me and Deshaun play on the same team. Yeah, um, But he's... He's still playing. And then um, you know, I follow coaches. So I follow Andy Reed. My offensive line coach that drafted me, his name is Juan Castillo. Okay. He is uh he's the coach, the offensive line coach for the Bears now. Mm. So I'm rooting for him, you know. So we're all renting time, you know. That's what Andy Reid used to say. So, you know, coaches bounce around. Yeah. So the plays.
0: Interesting. Yeah. What's some what is something that um Either your you know your coach in college or your NFL coach, something that they said or some bit of wisdom that they shared that no one's ever heard before. That this could be the first time someone hears it hears it publicly. That that you know that they'd be okay <laughs>
1: disclosing. Uh, disclosing, I, I guess those two sayings. Like I, I guess I said One was, "Hey, look, there's no mistakes with the Pete peak, peaker.
0: Yeah,
1: opportunities to get better." uh andy Reid saying he doesn't get any better than this right uh and then um juan castillo used to say hey we're juan castillo he's i give you a little background on juan yeah, juan castillo please. he was the only um he was the only mexican american offensive line coach and uh, uh yeah awesome coach i learned so much from him he was so patient and um we're, i mean we're still friends today. He's po- it's probably one person I reach I, I talk to the most. Okay. And um he just said we're all renting time. So you need to take advantage of every opportunity you have on the field, every opportunity you have even with your family, every opportunity because we're all renting time. You don't know when that time is going to end. And it made me mean, realize that you need to um you need to be present, right? Hmm. And really enjoy the time you're in even if it's not the best time even if it's mundane even if it's you know two hours of watching film are now look two hours of reading commentary on you know beyond meat i mean you know it's like um those mundane things you can even find uh you know joy in that too as well you know um because we're all renting time that time's finite it's going to end and so Juan Castillo, he had a really thick Mexican accent, you know, and mm. it's just so rare to see that in football. Um, but that's, that's one person I, I, I really value that I had him in my, um, career at such an early age.
0: Very cool. Let me ask you, when you're, when you're managing, um, now are you managing money, not just doing investment research?
1: Like, okay. Yeah. Deal- are we're build- managing um, money, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and too.
0: so do you deal directly with clients?
1: I do, and that's a new for me. That's still, and I guess it's always going to be new. Yeah, it's still, because everyone's different. That's a new thing for me. Yeah.
0: And what's what's that been like for you so far?
1: It's been it's been really great. This is why. Um, finances are extremely intimate, right? And um, yeah. you know, you know, of course, the endowments, and that's the bulk of our. Hey, Hey, AAUM, that's her focus. Um, and that's even um, really intimate, especially the smaller you get. Actually, the smaller the endowment gets is almost like it's more personal to them. Right. And then when you get to um, the actual business owner and you're actually dealing with his family, right? Um, and then a f- business owner that's actually the first time coming into really substantial wealth, um, being in those living rooms um, is is a really u- unique, sacred um, um, honored position to be in because they're really sharing things with you that they're not sharing with anyone else. Yeah. and um, I didn't realize that until I was actually in those rooms. and you, you're actually to really, you're actually able to um, um, use your skills and finance um, to really help that family build a legacy that's bigger than just money. It's yep. like, what do you want this money to be? You know, what do you want this money to stand for? What do you want this money to mean? An expression for you as a family and as a legacy. Right. Um, can you, so can, that, you say more, can you, you say really more really about, cool. can
0: you say more about that?
1: What you mean by that? Families like, yeah. Like what, what, oh, like, what it actually for instance, means in,
0: for, for a family or what it stands for. Like, can you give me some yeah. tangible uh, example of that?
1: Yeah. Cool. Meaning that like most people that, so say you sell a business, like and you have, you're you sitting on this, you know, this wealth one, it, it, it's not, it, it's almost like, um, you, it's, uh, you're happy that you sold it, but then it's almost like a loss because you need to do something different. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and so there's some, there's a sort of identity issue there too, that we want to walk through with. Uh, the families too as well. And then also how do you want this money to impact your community that you live in in terms of, Hey, what do you want to give to, how do you want to leave this with your kids? How do you want to transfer it to your kids and what format do you want to do it? Um, um, how do we transfer it for to your kids? Um, and then if you, and then in terms of the, the, the charitable, the, the charitable aspect um, what parameters do you want to put in place, um, to give in the most effective way? How do you want to give, uh, and what vehicle do you want to use to, to, to do it in? And then, um, being able to put a process in place to see if, because people change and if that changes, how do we do that in the most effective way?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Now, are you only working with clients in Nashville or do you work with all over?
1: um, all over, um, national.
0: And then are are you Um, getting your clients personally or has it come through the company?
1: Um, there are both. Um, and, um, it's something that's really different than a normal broker, uh, you know, big wiring house model. Um, it's not salesy, uh, you know, you know, Per se, Um, because being an athlete, you have a almost like a bad taste in your mouth, you know, from advisors. It's almost like you're selling insurance or something.
0: Yeah, you know, for sure.
1: (laughs) You know, and you never want to, you know, you never, you never really want to be in that position,
0: right? Because I would, I would imagine as a professional athlete, like there are, there are um, financial advisors, investment advisors, that they focus right on on athletes and yeah and it's, I, I, it it's something it's almost a little predatory the way they they approach things it seems like
1: yeah um you know in all fairness i think it's getting better i think the is player it? is actually i think the player is getting more sophisticated they're starting to um be more aware of who they use as as advisors who they invest their money with um they're starting to be more aware of their social capital you know mm-hmm. um but at the same time i just think it still breeds a lot of you know it's hard to sift through the good ones from the bad ones and they're surrounded by the not the right type of people sometimes so that, but the yeah. player i think yeah
0: so, so that, that must help you in terms of you know what it's like if someone's being really kind of scammy with you and you can be the other way
1: yeah i i, I do I, I can but again the really Cause look they're really good guys you don't know you know right, sure. <laughs> because the, you know yeah yeah um but at, at, at the same time i still you know, i still like you know want to help players uh pick the right type of people to be with too as well so are you um, are you I working with
0: with uh, former athletes or current athletes do you do that too
1: i do but look if i could you know this might sound bad if i could do it for free i'll do it for free cuz this isn't the focus of the business and I think, um, for this, for, for the setup at Bernstein, that can't be the focus, right? This is, this is because this, this is, I like doing this because I, I, I enjoy working with people that had the same type of experience I did mm-hmm. and I want them to use my mistakes and also some of the things I learned along the way for them to be successful. You know, now,
0: um, What what were some so. of the things that um, either some mistakes or some things you learned along the way.
1: Some of the biggest mistakes, uh, <clears throat> even recently, not look, yeah. I mean, look, sometimes I'm too focused and everyone is too focused on the upside. Right. Um, they're not too much, you know, if something has a drag on performance, you know, I was more apt to not, not, not do it. Right. Right. Um, um, you know, I think it's important to not lose lose money, as as well, um, and uh, to put um, different derivatives, different options, different uh, mechanisms in place, different hedges in a in a portfolio, and if it dragged on performance but limited some of that downside capture, I think you know, and, and I mean, you know, I, I would do it more often now than right. I would so. And the best, you know, um, you can't swing to the fences all of the time.
0: And I could, I mean, I could see you doing that also more with like endowments, right? Where they need to make sure they have a certain amount of capital that they, you know, can take out a yeah, spend, principal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. yeah. Um, but even on the, the client side too, mm-hmm. as well, um, I think I was sometimes projecting a lot of my own risk appetite aren't
0: other people. I think that's, Which, I think that's important. Um, cause I know, I know like someone for me, for instance, and, and a lot of people in my investing community, right? We, we go, oh, well, we have a long term mindset and we're value investors and we'll buy undervalued stocks yeah. and if they go down 50%. That's just part of the, the ebbs and flows yeah. of the market. And we can always buy more, but for say someone who, you know, is a lot older or maybe they just psychologically there's, um, Joel, there's a guy named Joel Greenblatt who was a professor at Columbia and he runs a a fund, and you know he was saying that, you know, when he ran his hedge fund was I think it was called uh, Gotham Fund or Gotham Capital back in the day, you know it yeah. had a, yeah. I think I think he did about forty percent annualized over the lifetime of that fund, yeah. and you know so they were very very concentrated. I mean they would own mm-hmm. maybe six to ten yeah. stocks sometimes, right? But he was saying yeah. for you know the mutual fund that he runs—it's it's extremely um, diversified because he said the average person would not stick in the like in that mutual fund if they were having the no. kinds of volatility swings. So he's like, "Sure, I would stick with it, but the average—you know—the average person investing in my mutual fund wouldn't." And I'm not technically serving them, and I had to kind of like, you know, let let go of my my personal expectation, kind of get into their world, and and I think that's yeah. you know that's that's a tough thing to do.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, it hurts. I mean, losing twenty percent. If if you look at your statement, and you know, a million dollars, you look at your yeah. statement. You have eight. You have eight hundred grand. I mean, it's that's a painful experience to go through. And most people, and look, and then you fall into the biggest, you know, pitfall of investing. Right, selling when it's you know low, and then buying when it's high. Well,
0: there's you know? a, there's a statistic that the average investor. Uh, captures about twenty percent of the performance of whatever vehicle they, they're investing in over the lifetime of that investment. For oh, just, yeah, For definitely. just that reason, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's so difficult to time the markets. There's um, this. Is, I was reading maybe it was maybe his internal, Bernstein uh, I- information that you know over the past you know, I think thirty years, if you missed five days. Of market swings, yeah. like it cuts your it cuts your performance in half. Oh, it's from, a, it's a know, ridiculous
0: number. Yeah, like
1: annualized from ten point one down to like four point two, and that's like bonds, you know. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. So you know, and that brings up another issue: like market timing is impossible to do. You know, um. But there's yeah. a lot. There's so, a lot of
0: people on CNBC that seem they can you know talk about transparency and openness. What I, what I would like to see yeah. is every time someone makes a market prediction. On CNBC, yeah. that they actually have to come back in a year yeah. right, and talk about how what they're uh, you know, and they'll have a little stat uh, sheet on the side shows what you know yeah. how many know. right because yeah. just like yeah, there's no accountability they can just you know I I, know I I saw a really funny meme and it said uh the stock market is often astrology for men <laughs>
1: yeah that's true I mean they should <laughs> yeah. have like a batting average or something I I know like, coming I know. up to the plate it's like. This guy's bad, you know. Ten percent, no way. I'm not gonna listen to this guy. Well, they you know? did it. Th- I
0: remember reading a study years back um, on Jim Cramer, and you know he seems to have somehow a miraculous understanding of every single public company in existence, and has an opinion yeah. on every single one. Uh, yeah. And if you look at his uh, picks and predictions over the entire course of his show, this study was yeah. from a few, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago. So who knows what it is now, but. Yeah. It was about exactly 50%. You could have flipped the oh, coin yeah. and got the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. That's why, look, it's so important to be exposed to different factors because even right now, this shows you that in this crisis that we're in now, that sometimes like, we get in positions where look, someone might really sound really educated and really know what they're doing, but they could be really wrong too. Yeah, you know, and you just can't be just exposed to that factor. You need exposed to expose the different ones, no?
0: Well, so. I think one of the one of the tough things as well is that a lot of the smart investors that I know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't promise certain things that are quote unquote marketable. So I think there's there's yeah. there's very perverse incentives in mm-hmm. the investment the investment management industry where, you know, people will they want an expected, you know, return and, you know, what what, mm-hmm. what can I ex- what kind of return can I expect over five years? And I think it's a like to, to to the honest answer is usually I don't know. I mean unless you're investing in certain fixed income securities, that could be really hard you know, almost impossible to say, well here's your expected return. Yeah. Um especially if it's hundred percent stocks you don't know what stock yeah. prices are gonna do. So it's there's it's it's very nice to be able to come up with this clean cut presentation and have all these uh, numbers of precision and, and and be very marketable like that and people like and people like it but that is there's a lot of false premises when you're when you're um, presenting you know investment pitches or you know uh, mm-hmm. you know investment services like that and when you say well I don't know or I don't know what to expect and here's our process and I think it works over time but I can't tell you when it'll work like. That's yeah. for for the average investor. It it actually ends up being less marketable. So, I mean, my my takeaway has always been: the more educated your your clients or investors are, the the easier your job becomes too.
1: Yes, I I, I agree because they realize that look, you, you don't have a crystal ball, you don't know, right? And the fact that you're being transparent, but at the same time, you have a process in place. And you have a disciplined plan. Yeah. And look, sometimes plans don't work out. Sometimes playbooks don't work out, right? I mean, our our game our game plans. But as long as you have a plan, you have something to go off of. And I think people respect the fact that you have something to go off of. Yeah. And you leaving yourself open to be wrong sometimes. Right. But not all the time. <laughs> you, know? Right. you know. It's, so, it's important it to have out. the
0: playbook. You don't know what the score is going to be at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. You never know. You know. Yeah. But um we have a team in place to do it. Yeah. I totally agree. How many
0: people are you working with? Like when, when you when you say you have the team in place, what, what's what does that team consist of?
1: So our team is really is really a national team. We have team members in uh, Chicago, New York, um we have a team member in LA. So we, we have a group of and look we we could plug we could plug and play, like for instance some people that we work with with endowments don't necessarily work with business owners. Right. If, if that's clear. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because your focus is just with endowments and foundations. Um, you know, so we consistently work with a group of 10 people and that's a good thing of working with Bernstein is because I can leverage a lot of the firm and the best thinking of the firm. Um, and not just to my own thinking. Right. And even though, you know, <laughs> you know, hey, hey, look, you, you should never be just left up to just one person's thinking because I can have a bias. I got a blinders. I, I can have blinders on, too, as well. It's so important to have someone, um, you know, someone could tell you that, hey, look, you have the blinders on. Right. Um, let's look at it this way. Um, I, I, I get that with this uh, this structure here, you know. Um so when we create portfolios, we definitely do it as a team approach. And um uh, we include analysts at at times. Um we really leverage the full aspect, the full depth of uh, of, of like a full form.
0: Very cool. So you yeah. love you love it, don't you?
1: Um I I enjoy doing this, yeah. And um you know, prior to this I was I was doing, I was managing hedge fund and prior to this, I was doing the whole long, only fund. Yeah. This allows me to really like live life with people, but at the same time have, um, use finance with that. And I, I feel like I still have a lot to learn too, as, as well. And this allows me to really grow into this field and, you know, um, grow as a person too, as well. I learn a lot from the people I work with too.
0: Yeah. Well, I think also with your mindset we could be here 10 years from now and you'll you'll also say the same thing that I have a lot to learn and I'm still growing and Yeah. It's a yeah. non journey. Um, yeah. you know, I'd want to wrap it up soon. Um, but I just okay. wanted to share, you know, with the listeners is there anything um that you'd want to share about your firm or what you do that we haven't, you know, covered on uh the show?
1: Um No, I don't I don't think so. Nothing comes okay. comes to mind. All right. I think we pretty much covered yeah. it. And, and if I'm forgetting something, just reach out.
0: Well, what, uh, if, if people want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way to, to reach out to you or reach out to your firm?
1: Um, you know, I don't do, uh, the social media. Yeah. Um, to be honest, and this is kind of embarrassing, oh. I don't even do okay. LinkedIn. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's totally just like, um, um, cause I think there's a, I don't do it cause I think with social media, there's like a barrier there. Um, but look, if, if you want to reach out, my email is easy. It's it's okay. um, Winston Justice at Bernstein dot com. If you want to reach out and and have a conversation about, you know, the markets or you know, um, foundations or um, endowments, um, selling a business, not selling a business, you know, yeah, um, um, reach out.
0: Cool. All right. Well, Winston, I really appreciate uh, your time and it was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. No, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. Take it easy. Take care. All right. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the
1: words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.